You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show that explores how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. In each episode, we'll take you on a tour of the city to discover how the gospel speaks into both the unique opportunities and challenges Christians face in an urban context. This is a show from Chicago and for Chicago. So let's get to work. Welcome back to season two of Chicago's Gospel Podcast. We are uh, back at Addison Street Community Church in our makeshift podcast studio, but it's not all that bad. Uh, We're here in the auditorium of our church, and I want to start off the top by thanking a guy who many of our listeners may or may not know, uh, Lucas Hertz. He's the guy who takes our uh, bumbling thoughts and opinions and makes them sound at least somewhat decent and intelligible, which is really a difficult task given what we usually say on these shows. But Lucas is the guy who makes uh, this podcast work. And so, Lucas, thank you for your help, brother. Our purpose this season on season two of Chicago's Gospel Podcast remains the same. We are seeking to answer the question that you hear us talk about uh, in every intro, and that is, how does the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shape your life in an ever-changing city? We are focused on people in Chicago. We are for Chicago. We are here in Chicago, and we really want to help you think about uh, the opportunities and the challenges that you face uh, in this urban context. Now, today, we want to talk about something that might be on your mind pretty consistently as a Chicago resident, and that is uh, violence in the city. Violence is something that's all around us. It uh, takes shape in many different ways. Uh, Will help me out here with the different types of violence, but we certainly have physical violence. We have uh, verbal domestic violence. Yeah, uh, racial violence, uh yeah, just uh, sexual violence, yeah. the, the list goes on and on and on. It seems that wherever humans have an opportunity to be violent, we will at least in part uh, take advantage of that opportunity to our own shame. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I've, I think I've said this already before in other places, but you know, recently I got the Ring app for our simple camera in, in, uh, on the front of our house. And really, I thought it was just a doorbell, but it's actually been more like a a rabbit hole of notifications about, I mean, okay, some legitimate things that happen, but a lot of fear. Mm. And so we have ring cameras and apps, I think, because of violence Mm. um, and fear. Yeah. And I think you and I can safely say that we each live in... uh, relatively safer neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. I mean, wherever there's people, there's violence. So it's not that uh, we are untouched by crime and violence, but uh, we can take even our our safer neighborhoods and and sort of blow out what we experience and and think about how these things might affect people all over the city. Uh, Will, you often talk with people in our church about their quote-unquote, Chicago experience there, earning their stripes of, of living in the city. What do you mean by that? It's not hot dog or pizza, you know, you know getting the, those things out of the way. Uh, but unfortunately, if you stay here long enough, it, it's bound to happen that you'll 
probably be legitimately victimized or can I say violated in some way. Uh, and not that I hope that. I, we don't right. want to, we're not talking about this just because we lack for things to talk about. Um, but that Chicago experience is that you've been here long enough and something has happened that to you that, well, definitely it leaves a bad taste in your mouth about living here. Mm. But it's it, it's the feeling of, wow, I wasn't planning for that. I wasn't looking for that and I just got violated. Yeah. As an example, yeah, may I? Go for it, please. Yeah, we when we moved to our home in Logan Square in 2008, it came with like a garden unit. So we had people um, who came and lived in that garden unit. And one of our tenants who was a musician did a lot of gigging at night. And so he came back late one night, probably one or two in the morning. And he just nonchalantly texted us the next day. He says, yeah, I just want you guys to know I was held up last night Sheesh. where right there in front of the the gate of the house <laughs> so that's the where our kids played in the front yard yeah and then um yeah we also uh, were were broken into while we were in our home uh thankfully we didn't see anyone or see anything things went missing uh but it's that kind of a crushing and a feeling of oh wow this this just happened right. to me right it could to have you. been worse yeah. could have been to my kids and this isn't just something you read on the news, but as you said, it's happening to you. It's it's palpable. It's real at this point. And you've known enough people. You've lived here long enough to sort of uh, coin this moniker of your own Chicago experience because, correct me if I'm wrong, you seem to have noticed that this this is kind of a pattern in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, people move here for all different reasons, but... Uh, among the reasons that will potentially move people out is uh, an experience like being robbed at gunpoint or being having your house broken into or or the side you know window of your car or your um, catalytic converter, which seems to be so the things go on, but yeah, yeah, un- unfortunately, and I, I ask that because I want I want to try to encourage people not to give up. Yeah. Give up hope in living here, and that these things actually happen in a lot of places. Right. It just seems like we've said before that um, violent actions and violent people are much more. Uh, it feels more intense and compounded in a big city like ours. Yeah, and you and I both love this city. So, uh, what a great way to start season two is to <laughs> talk about violence. But yeah. I think our attempt here is to say, okay, even if there is an immense amount of violence. There is an even greater gospel that we think speaks into uh, a world that's saturated with violence, and that's what we want to talk about today. Mm. Just one statistic, not to be the fear monger, because, uh, again, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. But today, the day we're recording, February 14th, happy uh, late Valentine's Day to you as you're listening to this, because it'll come out probably in a few weeks. Uh, we're just 45 days into the calendar year of 2023, and there have been 57 homicides in the city of Chicago in the city limits. Um, it's oh, more wow. than one per day. Uh, so one statistic, we could go several different directions, but one to just prove the fact that we live in a hostile world and people do hostile and atrocious things to one another in the world that we live in. So the question is, does the gospel of Jesus Christ have anything? This this nice news, right? Oh, you, you, you're religious people. You guys are nice people. You're happy people. Uh, 
does a happy religion like Christianity have anything to say about like intense violence to the scale that we see it in Chicago? That's the question. Yeah, yeah, and it's it it's a fair question that we have to answer. I, I can't help but it would be a rabbit trail, maybe another podcast episode too, <laughs> to consider what in popular culture or perceptions is how religion has been a purveyor of violence. Mm. But that's not on topic not for our today. episode, but we just got another episode. We just got another, uh, <laughs> mark that down, yeah. uh, got another idea. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So pastor, give us, give us at least one starting point. There are probably several starting points when thinking about um, violence in the world. Give, give us one. So interestingly, in our Bible, in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the first word of the gospel comes in Genesis 3.15 mm. after Adam and Eve, you know, just uh, mess it up. And God doles out these curses, um, right, to Adam, uh, to the woman, to the serpent. And part of the promise to, uh, or cr- the curses and the promises intertwined in there is that a head crusher was going to come, a mm. kind of violent yeah person, if you think about it, right. who, who would be coming to crush the head of the, of the serpent. Who in turn would do what to his heel? He would, he would bite at it. Yeah. He would snap at it. So, would, the, so the serpent crusher, this is just dawning on me. There's a certain violent act prophesied in a positive way. And yet as he crushes the serpent, there is also a, a reciprocal violent act from from the serpent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one way you could think about it is, okay, Adam and Eve violated. Right. The whole word of violence, um, you know, has its Latin roots in, in that, um, like from in Spanish, violencia, but they violated God's law. Right. And, and God answered with, okay, not that it was like a tit for tat thing, or that I'm going to just do it in your, I'm going to play your, by your rules. No, he's like, hmm. Well, I think I'm going to overcome this problem mm. with a with a magnanimously violent mm. act, which oh. we'll get to later. But so after the word of the gospel comes, here we have speaking of beautiful and the man was intimate with his wife. This is Genesis 4. Adam and Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, "I have made a male child with the Lord's help." She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. Mm. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you furious?' And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, as we all know, Cain said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Mm. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am am I my brother's Mm. guardian? Then God said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. And so it goes on and God exiles 
him even further from the exile. Right. You know, his parents were exiled out of the garden, and now Cain's, in a sense, exiled and alienated from oh, humanity. So yeah. he's an unrighteous guy who then gets kind of upset mm. at what seems to be a lack of fairness yeah. on God's part. And because he can't reach God, what does he do? He reaches the next thing closest to God. That's an image bearer, wow. someone who bears the likeness of God, his brother, and kills him. Mm. First act of no one knew. No one taught Cain how to do that. Mm. And think about the irony of that. It starts off with Adam and Eve in bed conceiving. No parent, no parent in Chicago, no couple in Chicago um, approaches building a family with the expectation that one of their children is going to kill the other. Mm. And that's what happened in the first act of right, murder in right. the Bible. Yeah. And and just to keep context in mind, it makes a point all the more striking. This is Genesis 4. Adam and Eve <laughs> fall into sin in Genesis 3. It doesn't take 10 generations for mm. sin to build up to the point of uh, homicide, fracticide, uh, but yeah. it, it it takes, you know, it takes one page in your Bible, h- half a turn to get there, and it just takes a few moments within the grand scheme of the Bible. Yeah, so, and then as you keep, and no, speaking of turning, as you yeah. keep turning pages, just in the first book of the Bible alone, yeah. you wonder, wait, what am I reading here? Right. Like, this is... R-rated movie. This is like a, an R-rated movie. It's violent. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh, we're picking the best passages to talk about today. We're starting at the beginning. We're just starting at the beginning with the first. Yeah. And um, it's not that it all is dark in Genesis, but it's a fairly grim picture right. of humanity. Yeah. So I know it's a, a quick turn to, to this type of question, but it, let's ask ourselves, okay, if, if this is all we had, uh, if someone's wondering, do, does the Bible, does the Christian worldview have anything to say about violence? We'd, we'd certainly have to say yes from the beginning. It does not shy away from violence. What, what else would you add to that? Do, does the Bible speak to violence on account of Genesis 4? Yeah, I think it's answered. So we believe that um, the prophet and the leader Moses was the writer of the book of Genesis, full stop. Moses was also the one who uh, would lead God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land, or almost to the promised land. But God actually revealed himself to him and allowed Moses to write Holy Scripture, the very first books of of the Jewish Bible, of the Christian Scripture. And in that, God told, gave Moses 10 words that we also call the Ten Commandments. Mm. And one of those words is the Seventh Commandment, Mm. you shall not murder. Then you get all these different kinds of laws later on in the 600-plus laws of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, etc., that some of them are intertwined and embedded in that whole idea of of not murdering. And so God waited a while to actually give a mandate, you shall not murder. But somehow Cain and everyone else who's done a murder from Genesis 4 to Exodus 20, they had they had to have some kind of conception that that was wrong. Right. Yeah. There's something in us that tells us that murder is wrong. I don't care. If you've never picked up a Bible, something tells you that there's something wrong with the news headlines in Chicago. Right. And if something is wrong, 
there must be some sort of right standard against which we can say it is wrong. Life is sacred. Your life is sacred. Life made in the image of God. So the Bible does have something to say about violence. We, we obviously, as we said up front, can't say everything about it in the limited time that we've given ourselves today. But let's make another observation. Sin here is the precursor to violence. Mm-hmm. Yes. Violence was not in the world before sin, the sin of Adam and Eve. And so we can, I think, with a blank check, so to speak, right on it, violence is sin. Yes. Uh, there, we'll get to it. There's a certain righteous violence that is uh, belongs to God. Vengeance belongs to God. So we obviously believe that. But from a human perspective, violence is sin. Violence is against the will and commands and way of God. Yeah. And then, I mean, who would have ever thought that the murder of a of a sibling rivalry, let's say a sibling rivalry, would actually lead to things that we call like just war theory. Right. When we talk about the justice of war and what we do in that, mm. that that's that's a big blowout. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yes, the, I think the Bible does do that. And even though the Bible actually records many wars and battles and skirmishes where, in places where people lose their lives, it doesn't necessarily mean the Bible is like stamping it with yep. approval. Right, right. So you're a Christian in Chicago. You're listening to this. You're like, okay, so what for my life? Well, you know, a couple general observations we've already made. Let me give an application, then I'll ask you, uh, Pastor Will, an application from this. So here's one from my perspective. One, as as hopeful realists, as as Christians that we are, we're not optimists, we're not pessimists, we're realists. We try to see the world the way that God sees it. And as the governor of all things, that that is reality. God's reality is reality. So as hopeful realists, we can look at the news headlines, we can look at the world and say, yes, we have a context for violence. This does not catch me by surprise. I, I am not surprised to hear about the things that are happening in this city. And that's, I mean, I hope that that actually ministers to someone who might think that because God is ruler uh, and the one who reigns over all things, maybe uh, they sort of uh, began this conversation that we're having thinking, well, how could, how could God allow violence? Mm-hmm. If, if he is good, if he is all-powerful, all uh, you know the classic question. It is a valid question, but as Christians, on the basis of Genesis 4, we have the ability to look violence in the eyes. Hmm. Well, that's good. Yes, we do. Yeah. We don't, what else would you We add? don't do it. Um, I like the idea of not being surprised. Yeah. With the kind of the, um, probably the ugly underside of, of that, because that's a strength, so this would be a weakness, would be a kind of cynicism mm. that is you roll your eyes, you mutter a curse. Yeah against a, either a kind of leader or a kind of or a, or a race or a part of the city or this or that and and then you just roll with it and forget about it but man I think we are becoming really anesthetized mm. uh, in our city to the news of violence yeah yeah you know I don't know how honestly I don't know how journalists do it right 
because they have to lead every every one of their shows. They lead with the violence, right, the right. worst news, and yeah. then they build up to the happy-go-lucky stuff. And the reason a Christian can read this and actually not be cynical is because where's God in all of this? He's He sees it. And if God sees it, he'll call it to account. And if he'll call it to account, he'll call it to a just account. So God, and, and we'll see this in the story of, of Genesis, we invite you to... Uh, Telelege to pick up and read and <laughs> see Genesis 4 and 5 uh, to see how this story progresses. But the, the fact that God is present in this allows us not to be cynical. Yes, I think we need to rethink why God exists. Is God just here to make our lives better? Mm. Like, why can't God just sprinkle something out over our city and the other, the other cities or the inner city is, yeah. right, and just make it go away? Right. Is that why God exists? That's a bigger question that we obviously can't yeah. answer on this episode. But Well, I want to flip all the way back to essentially the end of the Bible, the beginning of the Second Testament, um, Mark chapter 15. I could have chosen any of the four Gospels to draw our attention to this point. Uh, but if Genesis 4 is the beginning or close to the beginning of violence, then uh, Mark 15, it's actually the <laughs> kind of thinking on the fly here, but I think I could defend this. It's the first act of violence in the new creation when God is doing a new work uh, mm. in the life, death, as we'll focus on here, in resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, but mm. whereas um, it seems to be just strict violence that we can't really make sense of in Genesis 4, there, there's purpose in this violence. But uh, let me just get to the text, and then we can discuss uh, Mark 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him, that is, Jesus, in a purple cloth, cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Now, this is only a fraction of the physical violence committed against Christ. We certainly see some of the what we might call emotional violence hurled against our Lord and Savior, but this is a violent passage, is it not? Yeah. Yes, it's it a, is. It's a very violent passage. And these physical blows are depicting something that's happening that that's beyond just the physicality of it. Yeah, and it's interesting that all the Gospels record this part of the life of Jesus or his, his death. Mm. Um, but that's not the only thing. They don't actually focus on the ins and outs of, of crucifixion, mm. per se. That's not the point. We right. think, like, how, how, how bad would it be to, to go through that? And indeed, it was bad. That was violent. That right. was a way of punishing criminals. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's a fantastic point. We could, we could sort of... Um, make this about the physiological aspects of the crucifixion. And there, there's certainly something to be said there, but the thrust of the Gospels is about something much bigger than what's happening to him physically. Yeah, that's, that's why the, that. the problem, as much as I love the art of uh, Mel Gibson's, was it 2004 
the Passion of the Christ movie. I remember going to the theater. I, I weirdly, I took my Bible with me, and not realizing I wouldn't see much. But the the Gibson's art focused on that physiological, mm. like you saw that, right? And it was it was brutal. That's why it was rated R. Mm. It, it, but insofar as it accomplished the work of art, I don't know that it actually um, fully conveyed the work of God. Yeah. Wow. Because. Here is not just a man, but the word made flesh, the second person of the triune God who has come to dwell and tabernacle and live amongst us. God moves into the neighborhood in Christ. And this is how we treat, um, well, if we're thinking about Cain and Abel, our brother, our elder brother, but mm-hmm. ultimately our, our sovereign Lord, um, God himself. This is how we treat him. So the violence being committed here in Mark 15 is incomparably greater than the violence committed in Genesis 4. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't know exactly how Abel died, but what, blunt force trauma, as crime shows to say, you know, to the head, maybe um, Jesus was was bitter. But I want to press into something you, you said. I think you got to show it to us. I think it's interesting. Is there a new creation, a resurrection, all this New Testament stuff, in the pearly gates and streets of gold without, a, as you called it, a first act of violence in the new creation. Yeah. Press into that. Yeah. That's why I probably should have been a bit more cautious. But um, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we don't just have, you know, a resurrection promised to us and, and, and the first fruits, the first evidence of that. But a promise that God is making all things new. And the way he's showing that is by putting the stamp of approval on on that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the first act of violence in the new creative act was the crucifixion, because apart from the crucifixion, we have no resurrection. So this is critical that we look at this violence, because this wasn't violence done to poor old Jesus on a cross against his own will. In fact, in the uh, in the Gospels, I, one of the most fascinating aspects of the Gospels, uh, in my opinion, is that when you inch closer and closer to to his death, Jesus seems to be showing off his full knowledge of what's going on. Hey, go to this town, untie a colt. When they ask you what's about to happen, tell them the master needs it, and, and it'll be done like this. It's like why all these strange details. Well, I think he's showing his sovereignty over all all that's happening. And his obedience. And his obedience, certainly. So this wasn't something that he was subjected to against his will. Yes, he prays, you know, my father, if there's any other way, let Mm -hmm. this cup pass from me. But this is a purpose-filled, violent act committed against the Son of God in service of the most glorious thing that we could ever imagine, which is humanity being reconciled to the triune God through faith. So God takes the violence here by these, uh, this battalion, what, 600-plus men, a representative of all of humanity rebelling mm. against God. So he takes these physical, this physical violence and uses it in route to his new creative act that he's doing 
in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the mm. dead. And if anything can give us a hopeful context for violence, it's that God can take a Roman cross, a, a, a torture mechanism, and use that for the rebirth of the world, so to speak. Yeah, maybe it's more accurate or to say that it's uh, the cross and the violence of of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, Son of Man, being crucified, is almost is depicted really in the the tearing of the the the, the veil mm. in the temple. Yeah, it's like a bridging. It's the tearing of the Old Testament, mm. you know, in a sense, the beginning of the New. So it's access. So yeah, a violence was necessary to, right. you know, bridge the gap. And then, as Romans says, he was raised again for our justification. Mm. No, no cross, no violence, no resurrection, yeah. no justification. Right, right. So, if I mean, the cross as the ultimate symbol of our <laughs> devotion and, and sanctification, it's a symbol for Christians in the city that God can take violence and do so much more than we could ever dare to hope or imagine. And we're not equating the violence done in our city to this ultimate act of the crucifixion of the Son of God, but there is at least a principle there that violence doesn't have the final word. This battalion, these soldiers, Pontius Pilate, they all thought they had the final word on this this guy who was kind of creating this uh, this grassroots movement in, in Israel during the time. They thought they had the final word through violence. We're shutting this thing down. But Christ roars again from the dead in new life to say that God is God is sovereign over violence. Yeah. And and but but here's the thing. So being living here in Chicago, whether whether you're a Christian or not listening to this you have to ask, I guess I'm, part of me, would, if I'm being skeptical, would ask, so what is, yeah, I understand that this Jesus lived and that this happened to him. To Maybe if you're not even a Christian, you say it was a good man and it's an injustice mm-hmm. to a good man. But what does this actually have to do with, with the violence that we live and breathe right, every right. day here? What, how does that help mm-hmm. the, the, the family in Little Village whose you know, daughter just got hit by a stray gang bullet? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and just multiply that out. Right. You know, we say, "Oh, well, Jesus understands violence." Is that supposed to be comforting? And I, I say, "Well, yes." Ultimately, I wouldn't say it's that easy. Yes. But yes, I think the cross speaks to the violence of our city. Mm. Um, I don't know that we could say, "Well, the churches should get up and do more." What more? What else are we supposed to do? I. I mean, do we start more nonprofits? Do we? And we we can. I'm hoping to get Dono Price on here sometime, mm. who is the known as the street pastor in mm. Chicago, and talk about his experiences. But um, the church, yes, I think can address it. Could it mean people moving into some of these areas and being a presence of light? I know people who've done that and who've been doing it for decades. Yeah, has it made a difference? I think so. Yeah. Do we need more? Yes. Sure. Maybe without all the gentrification, but that's another, you know, touchy subject as it as it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, two sample projects, two sample uh, pieces here from the beginning and close to the end of the Bible. 
Uh, I think the way we should close is just by um, using the images that the Apostle John gives us of the new creation. And one of the things that is conspicuously missing there is is any violence. Uh, and, and that's the beautiful hope of, of Christians is that we are um, we are pilgrims on our journey to the great celestial city, the, the new Jerusalem that is coming down from God out of heaven. And peace, shalom, love, and the presence of God are what mark that new creation, not the violence. The, the, what, what leads the headlines in the new creation is peace and shalom, not mm. violence. Mm. Uh, we're not addicted to that anymore because it makes us feel somewhat alive to see other people suffering or, or the violence done to them. But we are fully alive in the presence of the life-giving God in whom there is life. Amen. And may, may, the, may the hope of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ um, just empower you and enable you to live as lights in a dark city. Um, and we, we need more Christians here. This is an appeal. Don't move out of Chicago just because of that bad headline once again or that Chicago. It'll follow you. It'll follow you, yeah. Please stay. Be, be a concerned, active Christian. Um, and I'll say this, that we're on the cusp of a, of a mayoral election. It's so ironic. I, I respect our candidates. Every one of them feels like they have to talk about resolving Mm. the violence of our city. Yeah. And you know how I've lived here just long enough to know that none of them have really ever been able to deliver on the promises. Mm. Yeah. May God help us. Thanks for joining the conversation on Chicago's Gospel Podcast. If you're benefiting from these conversations, consider sharing this podcast episode with a friend or neighbor. We would also love to hear about topics you want to discuss. So reach out to us with your ideas at gospel at ASCCChicago.org. Until next time, remember that Christ's unchanging gospel is transforming your life in an ever-changing city.